Well, guys, we have a special treat this morning. Our speaker this morning is all the way from Uganda, so he got up real early to be with us this morning. But before he's introduced, I want to introduce to you um, a brother that's the executive director of Set Free Ministries here locally, and he'll introduce our guest speaker. But would you please welcome the executive director of Set Free Ministries is Dean Vandermeer. Welcome him as he comes this morning. Hi, guys. Thank you uh, for inviting us here today. My name is Dean Vandermeer, uh, executive director of Set Free Ministries since 2002. Uh, Set Free was, uh, began in 1995 uh, with Dr. Jeff Stam from Hudsonville. Uh, it began with a Vietnam vet who had post-traumatic stress for 30 years. He tried to kill himself. He was full of depression, anger, rage, guilt, and shame. His kids hated him. His wife didn't want to be around him, and he wanted to die. So he put a gun in his mouth and he tried to shoot himself and the stick broke. He said he even effed that up. What good am I? And I said, why are you alive? If Satan had his way, you'd be dead, right? He goes, that's true. I says, let's, let's find out what's entangling you. Hebrews 12.1, let us cut off the sin that so easily entangles. Let's get rid of all the heavy weights that hinder. And what was, he, what was hindering him? Shame, guilt, fear, rage, hate. And he had it all put away in a box. Wasn't going to deal with it. And God wanted to light his box. And for six hours, we climbed into his box, and it was terrible. He says, I've killed three men, I've murdered hundreds. He was an assassin. And all the shame and guilt of war had held him captive for 30 years. After six hours of climbing into his box, he who, he who covers sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and renounces will find mercy. Amen? That's right. So what he had done is he had covered over all of his shame, all of his guilt, all of his hate, all of his rage for 30 years, and he was festering, and the enemy had rights to him because if you let the sun go down in your anger, you give the devil a foothold. Written to who? Christians or pagans? A warning to Christians. Don't give him a foothold. And he had a stronghold. And that guy got set free that day and Jeff Stam was watching. Jeff Stam's a Vietnam vet. He was watching on closed circuit television. He had been shot down in Nam. He knew what fear was and he knew what rage was. And we decided that day we needed a ministry that was gonna help men heal, help men get set free help men deal with root problems. And that's what you have in front of you this morning, root problems. You're, you, you better know your enemy and you better know your Lord because life is war, it ain't a party. That's Amen? Right. Life is war, it's not a party. And we're, we're behind enemy lines. Behind enemy lines. So the enemy has a plan to destroy you. He wants you angry. He wants you bitter. He wants you to practice a little bit of rebellion, a little bit of pride, and he wants to get you entangled so that the heavyweights hinder you. And when in 2002, when I was asked to be executive director, I was on the board for all those years, but when, when I was in 2002, we were asked to go to Uganda 
I'm like, okay, we'll go to Uganda and we will teach the same principles we teach in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Nothing's new under the sun, yes? People are people. And so truth is truth, right? And so we go to Africa and we say, you know what? There's root problems here. What's the root problem in Africa? AIDS. Is AIDS the problem? No. Good answer. AIDS is not the problem. AIDS is a symptom of an underlying spiritual issue. Amen? What's the issue? Adultery. The lips of an adulteress will drip honey. Her feet will lead to the grave. No man that touches her will go unpunished. Her feet lead to hell. You will sign a covenant with a grave. You will lend your years to the cruel one. So we get to Africa, and we get in Uganda, and we get to this place called Rakai, and 50% of the people have AIDS, half. 95% unemployment. The place is virtually dying. There's, there's fresh graves everywhere, and there's thousands of children, thousands. And they're staring with no hope, and no future, they're just staring. And we took them guys through a, a set-free process, which I'd recommend every man in this room come through a set-free process. Hit restart in life. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, amen? James 5, 16, if we confess our sins to another, you get healed, that's true. And we need that. We need those brothers that can help us. And so that's what we did. We were in a little church there, half a roof. You know what the name of the church was? I love it. Glory of Christ. I love it. The, the church was probably worth a hundred bucks. Maybe. But there was a couple hundred people there and they were serious about getting set free. And the first thing we did was let's renounce occult involvement in Africa. And all the pastors dropped their heads. They didn't want to talk about it. Why? Because every pastor there was terrified of the witch doctors. And they were so scared of the witch doctors that every one of those pastors had handed their children over to a witch doctor within two weeks of birth because they were terrified of them. And so I said, is that true what's going on here in this, in this place? That you guys are so scared of the witch doctors that you actually hand your children over for dedication? Is that true? and 17 pastors held their head in shame. I said, let's go to God and let's ask for the courage of Joshua and let's repent for handing our children over to Satan. And let's stand right here today, men, and let's fight. Let's put this right now as a reset in Rakai. Let the light come in darkness. Let it begin right here. And those, those pastors stood up and they said, we will do it. And they wept and they mourned and they confessed their sin of having fear of witch doctors. And that was the beginning of light in Rakai. The light had come and the darkness was going to flee. And the pastor there, after two days of repentance, he says, what do we do now? What do we do now? I says, you have put off the old man for two days. You have put off the sin of the old man. 
Now let's put on the new. And I says, get your Bible out. Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is your key. Isaiah 58, if, if you care for the wanderer, if you care for the naked and clothe them, if you feed the hungry, if you care for that orphan in distress, then your light will break forth in the darkness and your healing will quickly appear. I says, if you do the ifs, you can bank on the thens. He'll do it, I promise. For two days, 42 little kids sat with their hands folded at a spiritual warfare conference for two days. Five and six years old. Do you know why they were there? When they had made the bulletin announcement for set free coming, they said if you stay for the whole conference, you get an eight ounce cup of porridge. They were starving. They came because they were starving. And I said to that pastor, I says, you want to start something brand new here? You help these kids, these 42 kids. And I know God will help you. He will do it. And I will help you. I'll, I will buy a school teacher. How about that? How about a school teacher for these kids? And you become their spiritual daddy. And we began, we shook hands that day. And what, January 1, 2006, 42 kids and one teacher. May of 2006, 1,000 children. The little kids ran through their villages saying, Jesus loves me, this I know. And you could not stop the darkness. The children ran with the light. And by December of 2006, there was 2,000. And then 3,000. And then 4,000. We now have 15 schools on a handshake. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. And you know what's happening? Which doctors are leaving? No more business. No more business. Ain't afraid of them. Okay, Francis. He's, here's my brother, Francis. He, he came, uh, joined Set Free Ministries in 2012. He's going to share with you what's happening in one of the schools in Raqqa, Uganda. Good morning, guys. It's nice to be here. I just want to share a story um, about what's happening in Rakai, where we are at at this point in time. Oh, that's Africa, and Uganda is at the very center where you see that point. It's a very nice country. Um, we are surrounded with uh, a number of countries, and Uganda is at still at the center, and that's Uganda. Much of our work is down southwest. That's where you see most of those uh, dots. That's where Rakai is. We have nine schools in that specific area. However, in the whole region, we have 15 schools. 12 are in Uganda, two are in Kenya, one is in South in, one is in southern Sudan. Now, that's the community where we work. It's um, one of the most beautiful parts of the country. Rolling hills, very green, and mo most of the people earn their living through uh, gardening. They have small gardens, one to two acres. They are peasant farmers. 
whatever is grown is eaten, and the little that they have as a surplus is sold. However, one of our biggest challenges is the occult, is the evil spirits, is the worship of idols, is the fear of the evil spirits. And that is a caption from uh, one of our newspapers whereby government through police got involved in trying to register traditional healers or witch doctors. And the reason why they were doing that was because of rampant cases of child sacrifice. Now, it's very difficult for you to imagine what that basically means, but it means that there's a lot of fear for our own children, that government had to respond to register. Those people are supposed to have been responsible for those kinds of acts. And why child sacrifices? Because of the traditional rituals that are involved that people believe in as source of power, source of livelihoods. However, the implication was that most of our children were being killed. Now, witch doctors, that's one of their practices. Actually, most of them will, in their shrines will have a skull, one or two. Children are subject to that kind of exposure at a very early stage in their dedication to bring about that sense of fear. And by demonstrating using a skull, they are communicating to the community that they have the power of life and death in their hands. So the community runs to these people for whatever ailment, for whatever challenge, for whatever success they need, they've got to run to these people. That's why they are very, very powerful. We've mentioned earlier on that actually the police was able to register 2,000, but I believe they were much, much more than that. Now, out of the 2,000 out there, we have only 30 doctors for a group of about 548,000 people. Yet, we have more than 3,000 people in the same area, 3,000 witch doctors in the same area. So that's how grave the matter of uh, worship and the fear of the evil spirit is in that region. Now, the outcome of that fear, the outcome of the occult, the, the, the worship of the idols are the children who are not able to go to school. The children, especially the girl child, who are used in sexual rituals, children who are killed, children who end up being slaves to the witch doctors, and we have so many of these as a result of many of them being orphans. Dean has already mentioned the whole issue of HIV AIDS in that area. So the children are the most people who suffer in, that, in those kinds of communities. And that's the target group we are after in our work. Now, that's a typical household in the area. And the result of this is because most of their resources is being sucked away from them by the witch doctors. For anything good, for anything bad, for whatever happens in their lives, the community has got to make reference to the witch doctors. And in that whole process, um, the, the, the hens, the goats, the cows are taken. The little money that they may get for school fees uh, is paid to the witch doctors. And these children end up not being anywhere in school. That's one of the, uh, the homes where we have our children come, where they come from. That's some level of improvement in the housing uh, after some, some of the uh, household have been able to make some improvement in their houses. That's how they look like. However, 
said free ministries has involved itself in uh, putting up schools and we are, I'm, I'm going to showcase one uh, school, Victoria Startup Primary School. It's only one of the many, and that's the, uh, the scenery or, or where that school is. That was uh, the first building that these guys had as a school. And I think the first time Dean visited, I think that's where he was. That's where they accommodated him. That's where he met the children. That is a two-classroom block that you're seeing over there. Now, when set free ministers intervened, we started putting up structures. These are temporary structures made out of iron sheets and some wood cuts, off cuts, and children were able to be put into some classrooms. This is after, again, the continued support of set free ministries. We were able to come up with uh, permanent buildings. That's how the school looks like right um, a few years ago. More buildings. That's how it looks like uh, at this point in time. That's the it changed skyline. The only, uh, the only, I mean, the only kind of buildings in the whole area in the radius of about five miles. That's the kind of the only set of buildings that look like that in that whole area. And why schools? Schools have given us an opportunity to get hold of the children, getting them out of the community and getting them in one place. By having them in one place, we are using that as a demonstration site for a new life. We are using that school as a nursery whereby the children are inoculated with the gospel, giving them a sense of understanding that actually there is a power over and beyond the fear of the evil spirits. And by keeping them in that environment and exp experiencing new things in terms of how life is, we are able to bring about a new understanding that actually there is a living God, there is a savior who can bring about a new person in their own, own lives. So the schools have helped us tap into the community. By sharing the gospel with the children, what's going on is that the children are able to go back to their individual homes and tell their parents what actually is going on in the school. We do provide some other facilities like water. Why is water a key thing in our, in our approach to our work? Usually most of the diseases that these this communities have are waterborne. When we get the kids at the school, we are able to give them clean water. Water is collected from the iron sheets, put into the tanks, and filtered, and children are able to have clean water. The implication there is that a child is able to keep in school without falling sick. Now, a child spending a whole year without falling sick is a big demonstration of God's own hand in the child's life. Because if the child had stayed in the community, chances are that he would have fallen sick and then the recourse would have been to go to the witch doctor. What has happened over the years is that the kids are able to stay at school for over nine months every single year, alive and kicking, which is a demonstration to the community there's something new at the school that they hadn't seen before. The children here are lining up for food. By giving them food at the school, we keep the kids at the school for that much period of time, other than loitering in the communities. Water, food, mosquito nets, we have healthy kids, which wasn't the case prior to the school being in the community. Now, by having them at the school, they are protected. It's a safe haven.
from the poaching hands of the witch doctors. Not only that, a demonstration to the, to the children, actually, there is a new life, there's something new happening in their midst. And the outcome has been that the community has been able to come to the school, which wasn't the case before. It's easier to get the community to the school than getting the community into a church building. Why? Because that's where their children go. They, they have an interest about what's happening to their children. And in this particular case here, we have a community meeting at the church, at the, at the school, and that's where we share the gospel when they come to the school. And by doing that, we create more awareness about the need to support the school. At this point in time, this school, the community is supporting the school 60% in terms of financial resources, which wasn't the case before. All their financial resources used to go to the witch doctors. Right now, by seeing the benefit of having their children in school, better health, they are saving because no more money is going to the witch doctors. They are able to contribute that money to the welfare of their children at the school. That's the church community building, which came about because of the school. As the children were being evangelized, being discipled, a community church was able to develop. Over 150 children of ours go to that school, and even the adults over, who are over 100, most of them are guardians in the school where we are supporting the children. Now, that's a very big impact. For the so many years, over 15 years, there was no church in that area until that building, uh, that church came to be as a result of the work of certain ministries. Well, that is a road that goes to the school that was given to, to the school by the community, because, by the local government, because of the improved school performance in the school. Now, that came about because children are spending more time at the school, they are healthy, they are alive, they are able to do better. The productivity is increasing just because of spending more time at the school. So, the government does recognize what's happening in that community. Our children are involved in being discipled. It's critical that we get our children to really understand and get to appreciate the word of God in their individual lives. The community in which they live has a lot of challenges. But with a school in our midst, we have a safe haven for them. We have an oasis where we can bring about a new group of people. And discipleship is a key thing. We want to bring about a scenario whereby the child is mature enough such that he's no longer being able to sway around because of different doctrines or fears that are part and parcel of that community. We believe we are bringing up a new generation, a new people that will transform our country. With all the challenges that we have in our Mideast, we have a lighthouse in that community of, because of that school. Those children are going out and telling their folks, their parents, their guardians that yes, here we are. We're a different generation altogether. And we thank you guys for all the support. We thank you for being able to identify with us in that, in that scenario. We follow up the kids even when they go to high school because our support for the state ministries goes to grade seven. But even when they're out of those schools, we make an effort. And the reason is we want to see a new generation, we want to see a new people. And it's happening as we talk right now. The gospel is powerful, the gospel is real, the truth sets free. Yes. May God bless you.
Okay, let's roll the video. Well, I think you guys have got the picture here. Um, if God has touched your heart this morning to either get involved with Set Free Ministries, whether it's Uganda or locally, uh, Dean Vandermeer is right here at table number two. Make sure you see him. Or just, you know, Jesus said that we are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You know, what God's done in our lives personally let God just shine in us, but also shine through us. The Bible says that the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. We're in a spiritual battle here, number one, but it, it's played out in the natural. It's played out in the flesh. The enemy wants to suppress us, to do anything, to hold us back, to destroy us. But we can have a greater impact than what we could ever dream or think because of what God has done in us and what he can do through us. And so never minimize the impact that, that you have on a life, on uh, a family, um, just many people. You can see just through this ministry what God can do with one person or just a number of people teamed together uh, sharing the light of the gospel. Um, God can make a difference in us for eternity. And that's what we're talking about here this morning, guys. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about forever. And uh, John Maxwell says uh, one of the definitions for leadership is influence. And I like that definition. Just I like one word definitions. They're easier to remember, right? But influence. And guys, we can have an influence in our world, um, a much greater influence than we can even imagine. 
Um, hopefully, we have influence. A lot of us might think, well, we don't have influence over anyone. But hopefully, we have influence over one person at the very least, right? And that's ourselves. Because God has given us the responsibility to make decisions. And that's where it starts is one decision at a time. And of course, the most important decision is a decision for Christ, a decision to become a son of God. I think of four keys to salvation. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. This may be your day if you want it to be your day. Um, if you've never made that decision and taken the, the step towards salvation, there's four keys. The first one is to acknowledge that we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one needs to teach us to make the wrong decisions, right? We ju it just comes naturally. And that's part of the sin nature. You know, um, some people describe it as original sin, that because of the fall of Adam, um, because of the wrong choice that he made, that we inherited that as natural men. But first, we're spiritual men. So we have the opportunity, number two, is to repent of that sin. In other words, to turn away from it and do a 180, to walk away from it. So number one, to acknowledge. Number two, to repent. Number three is to believe that Jesus is the one that paid the price for sin for us, for each and every one of us. He went to the cross willingly, died just a horrible death, to make payment for our sin. And the fourth key is the most important, is to receive him as our Lord, as our Savior. Nobody can make that choice for us. I can't make that decision for you. You're the one responsible for that. So let's bow our heads this morning. Guys, if that's you this morning, and you've never taken the step to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, I want to give you that opportunity to do that this morning. So if you'd like to take that step and you've never done that before, or maybe today God has touched your heart and you say, hey, I want to turn back. I once followed the Lord and had a relationship with him as my father, but I've walked away. And today I want to make the decision to recommit my life to the Lord. So if you'd like to make that decision either for the first time or you want to recommit, just raise your hand this morning. Anybody in this room this morning that says, I'm going to take a stand this morning and I'm going to declare that Jesus is my Lord. Just lift your hand. Guys, would you just repeat this prayer after me? Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I ask you to come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I declare today that I'm going to serve you, that I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. I declare that you are my Lord and that you're my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, if you've prayed that for the first time or you've made a recommitment this morning, I want to congratulate you. There's other brothers at your table. If you made that decision, I want you to share that with them. I want to encourage you to pray with them. And again, I want to thank uh, my brother Dean 
and Francis this morning for being with us this morning, sharing their heart and what God's doing in Uganda and uh, what he's doing around the world in West Michigan here. And remember, guys, we can make a difference. Let's stand together as we close. Father, I thank you, God, the stirring of your Holy Spirit in our hearts this morning. God, I thank you for the impact, God, that you're bringing into our lives, God. God, the things that you've done in us, God, the things that you're doing in us, and God, even more so the things that you're going to do with our lives. God, we pray today, God, that you give us a vision for our future, your vision, God, what you have planned for our lives, God, even God, at night when we sleep, God, even bringing those visions through dreams, God, in visiting us, God, um, speaking to us throughout the day, God. We thank you for being our daddy, God. We thank you for our relationship with you. And God, we look forward to, God, what you're going to do in our lives, God, as you unfold. And God, as you make a difference in us, but God, as you make a difference through us, God, as we impact our world. So God, your word says that we are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. And God, I thank you for what you have planned for us today. God, we pray for your protection over each and every man here this morning. God, I pray protection over their family. God, I pray for provision, God, that you provide and supply every one of our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So God, we just in your hands, God, we, we thank you that God, that we dwell under the shadow of the almighty God, that we're under your wing, your wing of protection, your wing of provision, God, and that you would propel us to, to the future that you have planned for us, God. We embrace that, God. We embrace your plan today, and God, we just are walking it out, God, one step at a time. God, we pray for divine appointments today. God, as you introduce us to people for the very first time, our coworkers, our neighbors, our family members, God, that we would be the light that you've designed us and created us to be. And God, we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory, God, for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.